Amen. Hey, I looked down on the ground a minute ago. I was taking a sip out of my drink. I left this here. And remember when I talked about like a fire goes out, you kind of like poke around to stir it up. And I think I left it here just to tell some people today, I'm here to stir us up, right? I mean, God's word and God's spirit wants to stir us up today. So don't make me come out there and just saying. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, I think it's kind of cool how you can do that. He, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And then he goes ahead and bursts their bubble about the Messiah. This is not what they're expecting to hear. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day uh, be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever won't deny themselves will, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? You get it all, but you lose yourself in the process. And like I said, it, it's, it's Palm Sunday, and um, one of the things Jesus did right after he entered Jerusalem, is the same thing he did when he began his ministry. He went to God's house and he cleaned house, right? He said, hey, get some of this junk out of here. It don't belong here. It's my house. This stuff's not supposed to be here. And, and, and I just want to encourage you to do that. Um, this is God's house and God's time. And, and, and just, just clear out anything that shouldn't belong there. All that should belong in your minds and thoughts right now is God and him and, and tuning into him and and so if you have any, any discouragement, any, any attitudes that shouldn't be here, right, you know, just say, let me get this out of here so I can be a clean house to receive God's word today. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to pray. Um, and pray with me, open palms if you so desire. It's just symbolic that we're ready to receive from God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being our king. Uh, we thank you for reigning over us in love and in truth and in grace. We thank you for your mercy that is new every morning. And God, we thank you for this time you've given us this day to be in your house. And God, God I pray that you would open our eyes, that includes mine, uh, open our ears, that would be me too, open our hearts to your truth, to your word. God, I, I pray that we engage it alive and actively because that is what it is. I pray that we each encounter you in our own way and that we leave different because of who you are and what you can do. May we not just be a bunch of people in the room, but may we be people in the presence of the King of glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I, I can't believe that this is the last week of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. I, I mean, it, it's been like the quickest nine-week series, at least to me, that I've ever given. And, and you know what, Maple Grove, I, I believe that if Jesus was here in the flesh, and just imagine what that would be like. I believe that he, he, would, he would look each, us, each of us in the eye and he would say, Steve, 
And I may grow that covers a lot of people, right? You would say, you know, Steve and Dan and Judy and Gail, it's time to grow. It's time to grow. I, I understand if the ultimate goal, if the ultimate aim, if the ultimate destination of our journey as believers are to become just like Jesus, then I think everybody in this room has some growing to do. Amen? And so go ahead and tell the person to your right and to your left that it's time to grow. <clears throat> and it's so fun to say that to your spouse, right? If they're not here, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and listen, the good news is, is that, you know, if you are in this room, God has blessed you with more time to do just that, grow to become more like him. And understand, it, it, it doesn't matter how long it's been. It, it, it doesn't matter how many times you messed up. It's never too late to become the person that God has always meant for you to be. Amen? I mean, if you're breathing, right? If you're breathing, the God of all creation, the maker of heaven and earth, is not through with you yet. Get it? Good. And guys, I'm really serious when I say that these past nine weeks, looking at the fruit that the Holy Spirit that's inside of me wants to produce in me and flow out of me have been some of the most transformative weeks I've ever had. And I'm going to continue to visit this topic. And as we begin this morning, I just got to talk one more time about that powerful image of the Holy Spirit being this, this powerful and life-changing river that not only flows in us, but flows out from us. John writes in John 7, verse 38, who, whoever, whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, and that would be me and a lot of you, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And, and remember, Jesus said those words at the Feast in Tabernacles at the last and most important day, at the day when the high priest would, would pour out water from the temple and he would read passages of scriptures like the one uh, we read about in Ezekiel 37. And in Ezekiel 37, the prophet is given this vision of a river flowing from the temple. They were used to going to the temple to worship, but now something is flowing out of the temple and it's this river. And this river keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. First it's up to his ankles, and then it's up to his knees, and, and then it's up to his waist. And, and before long, it, this river is, is over his head, and, the, and this river is flowing out of the temple, and it's flowing into the Dead Sea, and it's bringing the Dead Sea back to life. And Ezekiel 47 verse 9 says this, there will be swarms of living things, where, and remember this is, a, this is spirit, this is us. There'll be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. And, and listen, for, for those living in that culture, they really knew that a river meant life, right? Uh, we don't quite get that. Um, he, he, I, I googled an image of the Jordan River and 
Maybe it's not, right? I just Googled it, right? So I don't really know. It could be the Mississippi, but I think it's the Jordan, you know? But did you, like, where's the green stuff? Where's the stuff that's alive, right? It's right near the river, right? You know, the river meant life. And here's a picture of the Nile River, right? You know, there it is. You notice there's desert, and then where the river is, that's where people are, and that's where, that's where, that's where life is. And and scripture says that there will be swarms of living things wherever the waters of this river flows. The Holy Spirit flowing out of us. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. In Maple Grove, that is what God wants us to be. That is who God has empowered us to be through his spirit that is inside of us, this river flowing in us and flowing out from us, this river of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness. He wants it flowing out of us. And when it flows, it brings life to wherever it goes. You know, the compassion team did this, did this little deal where, where, you know, go out and do something to help somebody out. It could be something really small. And I, I didn't pick up any cards because they were gone by the time I got there, but I knew what some of the stuff was. And, you know, we, we went and bought like, I, I bought five king-size Hershey bars, you know, two almond and three not. And, you know, I, I gave up dessert and chocolate for Lent. And so that was, that's, that's kind of rough, but I, I, I survived. And, and, and I gave one to our garbage guy. I think I may have mentioned that. And I walked out there and I said, I said, hey, you know, I'm not weird or nothing. Well, not real weird. And, and I know it's only a candy bar. <laughs> but I want to thank you for serving us. And he goes, hey, that's cool. And, and then the other day, I, I found this note on our refrigerator. Do we have that picture? And I thought, first I saw it, and I didn't read it. I go, okay, who picked this up? We got something to pick up, and we didn't do it. But the note just says, Thank you so much, exclamation point, smiley face. And see, what happened the day before is, you know, May Lee took one of those Hershey bars, and I froze it before we put it in the mailbox, and she put a note on it uh, to our mail carrier and just said, thank you for serving us. And you know what? It may be a little thing, but that's, that's the river of life. That's the river of kindness that God wants to flow out from us. Like I said, it's our last week in the series, It's Time to Grow. I don't know if that was a good thing or not. <clears throat> uh, 2,000 years ago, Paul, Paul grabbed a pen and paper, and he wrote these words. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Are you ready? One, two, three. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and if you're taking notes, go ahead, circle love and and circle self-control, you know, because I think it's not an accident that, that Paul started this list. Uh, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to start his list with the word love is because love is, is what starts and, and love is what holds this whole thing together. Paul said this in Galatians 3.14. He's talking about these virtues that you and I need to put on. And then he says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together and perfect unity. I also think it's very intentional that the Holy Spirit ended his list with self-control. Uh, not because it's, it's the least part of it, but because without self-control, without denying ourselves, without denying our wants, our needs, our feelings, our emotions, 
It will be almost impossible for us to love when it's undeserved. It will be impossible without self-control for us to be patient when we feel like losing it. Without self-control, it's going to be impossible for you and, you and I to unleash kindness on people who don't deserve it. It's going to be impossible for us without, without self-control to have joy when there's no reason because joy has to be about our happiness when we don't have self-control. So to me, it makes sense for the Holy Spirit to end his list and for us to end our series talking about self-control. And now if I were to ask you, you know, as you look through scriptures, who, 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 demonstrated, you know, who, the, who demonstrated having the ultimate self-control throughout all the scripture, and most of us would run immediately to the Sunday school answer, and we would say, Jesus, and we'd be right. But who would you say in scripture, would you say, is the poster guy for pretty much having a lack of self-control throughout his entire life. I mean, who would you think? And you go ahead and share with each other who you think that would be. Who demonstrated a severe lack of self-control in their lives? In Scripture, not in this room. <laughs> okay. Uh, what, what, any names? What, what we got? Okay, there we go. That's the right answer. Because <laughs> that's my answer. <laughs> And uh, Samson, uh, we meet him in a book of Judges, a book which chronicles a 300-plus-year history where God's people couldn't get it right and they couldn't keep it right. They kept going through this cycle, and I think sometimes we go through the same cycle. Here's the cycle. They would do good. Life is good. Bless the Lord, oh my. It's good, God, you're good. Everybody loves me. I love everybody. You know, I'm getting a refund this year. It's, it's all great. You know, and after a while, because things are so good, we, they forgot about God. All right, we don't, hey, God don't really need you. And then life starts tanking. They start suffering. And what do they do? Help! You know, thank God God is not us, right? Because I'd say, forget you, right? But, but what does God do? God sends them a deliverer. God answers their prayers. Things get good again. And the cycle starts over again for 300 years. And that's where we meet Samson. He was one of the guys that God chose to deliver his people. He was the strongest guy who ever lived physically. Uh, but spiritually and emotionally, he was a weakling. He, physically, he's powerful, but spiritually, he's impotent. Physically, Samson was the, was the Rambo of the Old Testament. I'm probably dating myself. Maybe some of you don't know. Google Rambo if you know who he is. And spiritually, he was the Pee Wee Herman, right? You know, he, he, he was a moral wimp. He, he, had, he had no spiritual strength at all. Uh, Peter Drucker, in, in his book, The Effective Executive, says that every time you see a person who has great strengths, they also have great weaknesses. I, I mean, we all heard about it, right? You know, the stories of celebrities and athletes and politicians and even pastors who, although they had tremendous strength in a certain area, they lacked self-control, which led to their downfall. That was Samson. Uh, one of the Greek philosophers of the first century wrote, a guy named Epictus said, no man is truly free until he what? Until he masters himself. And that's true, right? I mean, we are never really free in life until we've learned to master ourselves to, as Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, you know, he says, I, I, you know, I beat my body. Some virgins say, you know, I buffet, I buffet my body. I go to a botchery grill and chow down about 50 shrimp. No, he's not talking about that. Paul says, you know what? I, I beat my body 
I make it my slave so that my body does what I want it to do and not what it wants to do. Well, Samson never learned this, and he paid for it in a huge way. Now, Proverbs 25, verse 28, is a perfect portrait of Samson's life. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks what? Self-control. Back in that culture, you know, you know, um, broken down walls equals not good, right? You got no walls, you're defenseless. Anything can get into that city and mess you up. And if we lack self-control, anything can get into our lives and mess us up. So my question today is, can that kind of stuff be avoided? I mean, can we learn from somebody like Samson? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know it's wise to learn from our own experience, but it's even wiser to learn from the experience of others so that we don't make the same mistakes. In fact, the Bible says the whole reason, one of the reasons that Samson's story is recorded is, is to teach us. We read in 1 Corinthians that these things happened to them as examples and were written down as what? Warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Now this morning, as we look at Samson's life, we're going to see that Samson had the potential to be a superstar for God. In Judges 13, 24, it says, a woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson, and he grew, and the Lord blessed him. So you see, right, right from the start, right from birth, he had everything going for him. He had, he, had, he had good looks. He had strength. He had a godly family. He had God's blessings on his life. He had supernatural strength because the Holy Spirit was on him. I mean, this guy had all-star, first-team, Hall of Famer written all over him. I mean, if you were to find a copy of the West Jordan River High School yearbook, Samson would have been on every single page, strong, handsome, right, long curly hair. He, he would have been the captain of all the sports teams, president of the student body, king for the homecoming court. He would have been voted the guy most likely to do awesome and amazing things. He was a guy full of potential and capabilities. But as we look at his story, and a lot of you guys already know his story, and we're going to see that he, that he blew it, that he wasted his life, that he, that he squandered that potential. He lost it all and became a very broken man. His life is an extremely sad commentary of a man who was his own worst enemy because he was unable to control himself, because he did whatever he wanted to do. You know anybody like that? <laughs> Have you ever been like that? You know, when I write sermon, songs are always popping in my mind, and I like to kind of rewrite them in my mind. And, and uh, Mick Jagger's song came to my mind this week, you know, that you can't always get what you want, and I kind of rewrote that. Now, I can't sing, and I can't play, and I have no rhythm, but if you're visiting, sorry. But here, you know, you can't always do what you want. You can't always do what you want. But if you deny sometimes, you just might find, okay, you do what you need, right? Okay. Amen. All right. All right. Mercy claps. Mercy claps. All right. All right. But that's really true, right? You know, if we deny, right, we, we might find what we need. And, you know, we're closing out this series, and, and God wants us to be fruitful believers, and being a fruitful believer is not about doing whatever we feel like doing or not doing what we don't feel like doing. Instead, it's about denying ourselves. It's, a, it's about controlling ourselves. And in Samson's life, we see four areas where 
that denial needs to be evident if we want to be a fruitful believer. Okay, let's do this. Number one, fruitful believers must deny self-indulgence because it defruits your life. Now, uh, defruits is not actually a word. I, I, I want the dictionary.com just to check it out. Maybe it is a word. It should be. I need, I need to submit a list. Because I, 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 when I put on dictionary.com, it said, did you mean defraud? <laughs> I said, no, I meant defruits. Okay? And so here, here's defruits. It's a verb. Uh, the act of removing or weakening the impact of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's what it means to defruit. Okay? And listen, anything that is left uncontrolled in our lives will weaken and defruit us. And that can be the way we spend our money. It can be sex. It can be food. It can be alcohol. It can be our emotions. It can be the way we manage our time or manage our tongue. But anything left out of control in our life will weaken us and defruit us. Get it? Good. Now, now it's no secret that Samson had a weakness for women. He was the playboy of the Bible. And in the three chapters we're going to kind of visit quickly, um, we're going to see that he had three different ladies. His life is one pathetic cycle. He never learned his lesson. He'd fall into one trap after another. And in chapter 14, we see where it all begins. Judges 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman. I mean, she's not Jewish. She's from another nation. In return, he said to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. Mongo, like her, Okay. Blazing saddles for us old-timers. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your own relatives or our own people? Must you go to an uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's already one for me. Now, in the Hebrew, it literally reads this. Get her for me because she pleases me. The New American Standard reads this way. Get her for me. She looks good. New Living Translation, get her for me. She is the one I want. Steve's paraphrase, get her for me, she's hot, right? (laughs) She's hot, she's the one. That's the way Samson lived his life, self-indulgence. Do or don't do whatever you want, whenever you want. All this guy cared about was his own pleasure, what he wanted to do. She pleases me. It didn't matter to him that God did not want him to marry a Philistine woman. It did not matter to him that he made a commitment to God. It didn't matter to him that his mom and dad said, you know what, son, if you keep going down this road, you're not going to like where it ends up. All that mattered to him was self-indulgence. All that mattered to him was pleasing himself. All that mattered to him was that she was hot and he wanted her. Question, do you know what the typical excuse for self-indulgence is? It's the attitude of, hey, it's just this one time, this one little thing, it couldn't hurt just this one time. See, that's Satan's favorite rationalization. It's just a, it's just a small thing. It's just a teeny thing. Remember, it, it was just a small thing for David to go on his balcony and, and, and watch a woman named Bathsheba take a bath, and we know where that ended up. See, small things can have an enormous impact on our lives. So imagine you're on, on a cruise ship, right? And, and, and you're about to sail across the Atlantic, and you're really excited. They cast off all lines. Woohoo, we're going. And shortly after, you know, the captain comes over the speakers. Welcome aboard. So glad to have you guys here. Uh, uh, there's something I need to share with you, and I wanted to wait until we cast off all lines. And 
because I didn't want to upset you. I just want to let you guys know that our ship has a leak. Now, there's just one leak, and it's not a very big leak. I mean, it's just a teeny, 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 teeny leak. So I don't want you to worry about it. And don't forget that at 7 p.m. tonight in the main auditorium, we'll be showing the movie Titanic, you know. Now, if you were on that ship, what would you say? Hey, turn the sucker around. Why? Because you know that even a little leak can sink a ship. A leak is a leak. It doesn't matter what size it is. It's only a question of timing. When? So how do you handle the little things of life? Sansom ignored them, but he eventually found out it was just a question of time. As Paul says in Galatians, do not be misled. Remember that you cannot ignore God and get away with it. Yeah, you're thinking, hey, I've been doing this for three months, doing what I want, when I want. I'm cool, nothing's happening. Do not remember that you can't ignore God's warnings and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful desires will harvest the consequences of what? Decay. Raise your hand if you want some decay and death. Anybody? Is that anybody going for that? Okay, I don't think any of us are intentionally. You'll always reap what you sow. Listen, it doesn't make any difference what area of our lives is out of control. Time, money, food, sex, attitude, speech, whatever. It doesn't matter. If we don't take care of it, it will weaken, it will defruit, and eventually sink our lives. Get it? Good. So the first lesson we learn from Samson is that fruitful believers deny self-indulgence. They don't do whatever they want to do. They don't just say, well, it's only just this one little thing, this one little time. I mean, most of my life is squared away. I mean, I should be allowed this one little area. No, they don't do that. Instead, fruitful believers discipline their desires. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, I will not let anything master me. Like we already read in Proverbs 25, anyone who lacks self-control is like a city whose walls are broken down. God is saying, when we have no self-control, we are completely defenseless. Listen, without self-control, we become morally weak and commit sexual sins. Without self-control, we become enslaved to habits that harm us. Without self-control, we allow bad moods to master us and make us miserable. Without self-control, we eat too much of the wrong things and we become unhealthy. Without self-control, we are overrun by negative emotions which give rise to destruction, destructive behaviors and actions. Without self-control, we spend more money than we make and we get into financial messes. Uh, without self-control, the fruit, all the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit will not have a chance to grow and mature in us. Without self-control, we will never become the man or woman that God has created us to be. Get it? Yeah, good. I didn't really like it either. Maple Grove, self-indulgence, weakened and defruited Samson, and it will do the same thing to us. And I, I want to quickly suggest seven things that will help us develop self-control. Number one, admit you have a problem. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. You see what that verse is saying? It's saying that you do things because you want to do them. I understand, when I do something that I know is wrong and is bad for me, you know why I do it? I do it because I want to do it. I do it because I want to do it. I do it because I have this inner desire. 
The problem is not out there. The problem is, is, is in me. And what we tend to do, and, and the we is me, right? And, and if you're a visitor, know that I am as screwed up as you are. Maybe more, okay? I'm a messed up pastor in a church full of messed up people. I mean, look around you, right? You know? And if you're here, man, you fit in perfectly, right? You, I finally found my home, right? You're, you're, you're welcome here. But we, what we tend to do with, you know, uh, uh, with, when we know we have a problem, here's what we do. We, we, will, we will tend to ignore it. What problem? Me? I got a problem. Deny it? No, I don't. Rationalize it? Well, it's not that big of a deal. It's their fault. You know, if my wife wasn't or my husband wasn't, if they were, if they, it, 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 it doesn't work. See, the first step is for you and I to admit it. Hey, I have a struggle with this area. It could be food, whatever. It could be your words, it could be your temper, whatever. You know, admit it, come clean. And, and listen, when you come clean, I, I, I want you to know that, keep in mind that your struggle does not define who you are, right? If you struggle with alcohol, that does not define you, right? Your identity is in Christ, you're not an alcoholic. You're a Christian who struggles with alcohol, right? Do, do not let your struggles define you. If you struggle with pornography, that's not who you are, right? You know, that does, that, that's not your identity. Your identity is a child in Christ who, has, who struggles with pornography, right? Do not let your struggle define you. Let Christ define you and redefine you. And then we need to talk back to our feelings. We, we give too much weight to our feelings, right? I, I don't feel like studying. I don't feel like working. I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like going to church. It's raining. It's cold. I don't, I don't know where the umbrella is. And I was up late last night watching Kentucky beat Notre Dame. And I, man, I was pulling for the Irish. You know. you know, we need to talk back to our feelings. We give our feelings too much authority. And we hear the feeling and say, I don't feel like, say, so what? <laughs> so what? You don't feel like studying? Then you shouldn't enroll in school, right? <laughs> you don't feel like loving your spouse? Too late. You're married. Do what you're supposed to do. Uh, number three, believe that you can change. No matter how many times you messed up, no matter how many times it hasn't worked, right? Believe that you can change. Start believing that it really can happen. Jesus told a guy who had a demon-possessed daughter, he said these words, powerful words. He said, everything is possible. For him who believes. If you want to straighten up an area of your life that's out of control, that's hurting you, I guarantee you, God wants to help you do that. And number four, avoid the things that tempt you. Proverbs says, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evil doers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go your own way. You know, like it's... It, if we struggle with overeating, we shouldn't keep 12 pints of Ben and Jerry's and Utz potato chips anywhere. Utz potato chips are just evil to me, right? It's like, they're the best. I grew up on them, you know. If certain images tempt you, stay off the internet, right? If, certain, if when you're with certain people, you do things that you know are wrong, but you feel like you got to do them anyway, then guess what? You got to avoid those people. You know, if you don't want to get stung by the bees... Don't hang around the bees, right? Next, find an accountability partner. The Bible says as iron sharpens iron, so does a friend sharpen a friend. We need each other. And, and here's some quick guidelines for an accountability partner. Three quick ones. Same sex, right? Mono, mono, woman, oh, a woman, oh, right? You know, 
you know, you know a, a guy being accountability for, not, for a woman is a no-no, right? Don't do it. You know, can you spell affair, right? Can you spell wrecking marriages, right? It's man-to-man, woman-to-woman, same sex, same direction. They want to go to the same place you are. And number three is very important. This should be a word, too. I need to submit this. They need to have a shuttable mouth, right? You know, they need to know that, hey, they can share without knowing everybody's going to know. And let me tell you, that means sharing with your spouse, right? Well, I'm just going to tell my spouse, you know. No, you tell nobody. You tell nobody, okay? And six, depend on Christ. Remember these promises. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. God's got it. God will help you fix what you need to fix. Next, fruitful believers deny bitterness because it defruits their life. I mean, Samson had a real big anger problem, man. He's like ticked off all the time. And when he was ticked off, he would do stuff. Like he was ticked off with some guys sometimes, and he winds up killing 30 guys for their clothes, right? I mean, yeah, you might like clothes and stuff, but hey, go to Kohl's, right? They're having a sale, 30% off, and you get Kohl's bucks. I mean, don't go out and kill 30 people, right? And then chapter 15, you know, he makes a statement that we all do when we're bitter towards somebody. Here's what he said. I merely did to them what they did to me. They started it. They were mean first. They said the bad thing about me first. You ever use that excuse? Probably have. And when you do, you're weakening and defruiting your life. If you think about it, bitterness, resentment, and getting even are such a waste. Number one, it's a waste of time, right? Because the truth is, while you're all ticked off, spewing and stewing, they're not even thinking about it, right? This person you're ticked at, they're oblivious to it. And you know what else they're doing? They're posting family fun time on their Facebook and Instagram, right? I mean, you're mad, like, they're having a good time. I don't want to see them having a good time. It's not bothering them one bit. Understand, resentment always hurts you more than it hurts the other person. So I just got to say, let it go. Let it go, let it go, I won't hold anger anymore. Let it go, let it go, turn away, don't shut the door. I don't care what they do to me, let their anger rage. Stupid people never bothered me anyway. (laughs) All right. A singing contract is coming. I can feel it. (laughs) I'll be checking the mail, email. If you're listening out there, Hollywood and Nashville at Steve at maple-grove.org, all right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bitterness is also a waste of energy, right? I mean, it takes a lot of energy to be ticked off, keep you up at night, and then you have no energy to do the things that you really need to do. It's also a waste of creativity, right? Because when you're angry at somebody, you get really creative thinking of how you can get back at them. And here's what I do. Here's probably my biggest weakness when I'm angry at somebody is I'm trying to figure out how I can expose them, right? It's like, okay, I know they're an idiot, and no one else knows that. And I want them to know what I know because they hurt me. So how can I, in a godly way, (laughs) have people know that, hey, they really aren't who you think they are? 
I struggle with that. Sorry. That's, that, that's, that's a waste of creativity. You know how creative Samson got when he was angry? He caught a bunch of foxes, and he ties their tails together. Can you just, it's got to be crazy, right? And foxes are like, hey, I think my day's going bad. They go, it got, got worse when he, he lit the foxes on fire, and he set them off in the fields of people he was mad at, right? I do believe that that's where Henry Ford um, got the idea for taillights. <laughs> Not even a pity. I got one pity laugh out there. But, but, but guys, just imagine if all the time, all the energy, and all the creativity we put into being bitter and angry, we put it into something productive like sharing our faith, growing in our faith, and demonstrating our faith through loving acts of compassion, seeking the lost, making disciples, and showing compassion. Bitterness weakens and defruits our lives. So the lesson from Samson is that fruitful believers restrain their actions. Just like they discipline their desires, they restrain their actions, they let it go. I won't sing it again, don't worry about it. Uh, Proverbs 29, 22, a hot-tempered man starts fights and gets into all kinds of trouble. Understand, your temper will get you into trouble, but there's another way to do things. Proverbs 16, 32, it's better to be slow-tempered Remember, breathe, pray, remember, right? Then to be famous and to have self-control, then to control an army. Now, there's another thing I have to mention about one of the tragic results of bitterness is that, you know, when we're bitter and angry at somebody, it affects our walk with God. As a matter of fact, it's hard to see God if we're, if we're angry or hate another person. When Leonardo da Vinci was painting The Last Supper, and we got a picture of it, and, you know, he got really ticked off at somebody. I mean, he lashed out at them. He even threatened them. And then he went back to his studio, picked up his brush, because he happened to be at the very point of painting the face of Jesus. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. With all that bitterness in him, he just couldn't do it. Have you ever been there, right? I mean, it's like, I can't really sing that song right now. I, I, I can't read my Bible right now because I, I just have some hatred that I haven't dealt with. You know what? Yeah, I see the communion coming by, but, but man, I am so ticked off at somebody that I, I'm afraid to pick that up, right? And you know what, know what, know what Leonardo did? He, he put down his brush. He, he went to the guy. He didn't say, well, hey, you really hurt me. He said, hey, will you forgive me? The guy did. He went back, and as we know, he finished the face of Jesus. In Scripture, we find these words of warnings about bitterness. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. You want to be a fruitful believer? Then deny self-indulgence, deny bitterness because they will weaken and defruit your life. Fourth, deny carelessness. Carelessness. Because it defruits your life. Samson had this incredible gift from God, and, and he continually misused it and was careless with it. And, and the power was a result, he had was a result of a commitment when he made when he was a young boy, and not to drink wine 
Um, no alcohol, a special diet, a vow never to cut his hair. And the hair reminded him that Samson, you're someone special, set apart for God. And again, the strength of Samson was not in his hair. The, the strength was in his commitment. And the hair represented that commitment that Samson, you, you, you're, you're, somebody, you're somebody different. But the problem is he never took it seriously. I mean, everything was a big game, you know. He, everything to him was, was about having fun, was about spring break, having a good time. He was totally irresponsible. He toyed with temptation. How close to the fire can I get without getting burnt? How close to the edge of the cliff can I get without falling over? That's how he lived his life. And nowhere is it more apparent than, than with this lady, lady he met named Delilah in chapter 16. You can read it yourself, but it turns out real bad for the guy, right? He, he, he falls in love with Delilah. He moves in with her, and he's in love with her. And, and, and the leaders of that nation, Philistine nation, hate him. And so they offer a boatload of money. Hey, can you find out the secret of his strength? And so she's trying to find out the secret, and he's just kind of playing around, you know, kind of telling her things that are kind of close. But eventually, you know what he does? He tells her where he gets his strength from. And while he's sleeping, she cuts his hair. And in Judges 16.20, we read, but when he woke up, he thought, I'll do as I did before and shake myself free. And, and then we read, to me, what, what are some of the saddest words in Scripture he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. Totally unaware. Totally unaware of how his lifestyle, what he was doing, how he was being so careless, how it was affecting him, weakening him little by little. He assumed he'd always be strong. He assumed the Lord would always be with him. Then the Philistines seized him gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binded him with bronze shackles. They set him grinding in the prison. Listen, nobody ever plans to wreck their lives. It just comes on gradually through carelessness. I mean, nobody ever says, you know what, I'm going to be an alcoholic. It just happens through carelessness. And nobody ever says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wreck my marriage, and I'm going to wreck my home, and I'm going to just lose everything I care about. No, it just kind of happens gradual because we become careless <clears throat> with our commitment. And carelessness builds and builds, <clears throat> excuse me, until the point that some people have a rude awakening and find themselves saying, what happened? How did I get here? How did I lose what I thought was so important to me? So what's the lesson we learned from Samson is that fruitful believers, they, they, they keep their commitments. They, they protect them. They, they guard them. They hold them. They, they fulfill them. They follow through. They do what they say. They're diligent. Fruitful believers, they're not careless. And Samson was, was extremely careless, and he was extremely careless even with spiritual things, right? I mean, think about it. He had the Spirit of God on him. And it wasn't for him. He, it wasn't for him to play with and tie up foxes with. And it, it was for God's glory. And he, he, he was careless with the gift of the Holy Spirit on him. And before we get going too postal on Samson, if you're a Jesus follower, God has placed his spirit not on you but in you. The spirit of the living God the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead is living in you and wants to shape you and shape me and mold me and mature me and develop in me love, joy, peace, patience. It has it, given me everything I need to live a godly life. I mean, God is living in me. Question, have you ever been careless with that? 
Are you careless with the fact that God lives in you? I've been. What is out of control in your life? And you may think it's not significant. You may excuse it. You may rationalize it. Nobody knows about it, but it's there. It it may be your appetites. It may be a moral temptation. It doesn't matter what it is. I'm sure everybody's got something they shouldn't be indulging in. And the question is, today, will you choose, hey, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to deny self-indulgence. Who are you bitter against? I mean, when you think of them, they make you mad. When they show up in your news feed, you want to find out, how can I block them, right? Ever been there? You know, it could be an ex-spouse, ex-friend. You know, I want you to know that it's, if you hold, when we hold on to bitterness, right, it hurts us more than it hurts them. And it weakens my life, and it defruits my life. Are you being careless with your commitments at home, at work, with people? Are you taking your relationship with God seriously? Are, are you careless with the fact that the Spirit of living God is inside of you? People grow fruitful believers, deny self-indulgence, they deny bitterness, they deny carelessness. You can't always do what you want. We can't. But if we deny sometimes, we just might find we do what we need. And what we need to do, finally, is to deny ourselves because it refruits our life. See, somewhere in the prison it happens. It says, but, but the hair on his head began to grow again and, and, and after it had been shaved. And, you know, and the hair represented his commitment to God and and Samson, while in prison, blinded, eyes guides out, you know, grinding like a, like a horse in, in a mill. And I don't know when it happened, but I know it did happen because he shows up in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Canton, Ohio, the, the Cooperstown of, of the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11. And, and somewhere, uh, somewhere along the line, as he's pushing that, uh, I believe this, this man, that, that he, he repented of, of, of his self-indulgence. He repented of his anger and his bitterness of being careless. And he died to himself, and he said, God, God, if you could use me just one more time, could I get just one more chance for you to work through me? And God said, sure. And Samson had his greatest victory the last day of his life. Maple Grove, we need to get this. I need to get this. Nothing will refruit our lives more than denying ourselves. Nothing. And, and I know that's not what the world says, right? I know that's not what our flesh says, right? Our world says, indulge yourself. Indulge it, right? If it feels good, do it, right? Indulge yourself. Hey, if somebody hurts you, someone hurts you, right? You're, you're, you're coming. All right, all right, I, I see you. I'm coming. I'm coming, I'm coming for you. And, and, and commitments, yeah, they're only as strong as, do I really want to keep them? <laughs> if I want to keep them, well, they don't really matter anymore. I know that's what the world says, but Jesus says something different. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple, we started with this, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever loses their life for me Whoever denies themselves for me will save it. And they will not forfeit, but actually find their very self. See, see that's the power of, of self-denial. That's the power of what God 
wants us to do and what he wants to do in us. And so here we come, end, end of the series, right? And we're, we're done talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and, and, and I just want to challenge us today, right, uh, to, to be a, a people who deny ourselves, right, you know, and, and follow Christ, who deny ourselves daily, who, who practice self-control. And we're, we're going to sing the song, and, and maybe you're here today, and, and you've never surrendered to Christ. You've never been baptized into his name. You know, at first service, we had a young man do that. And as, Paul, as Peter said in Acts 2.38, repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 2.38, and you'll receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've never done that, you can do that today. If there's some self-indulgence you need to repent of, man, God's a God of second chances, right? You know, you're alive today, so, you know, just, just say, hey, it's a new day. Take that etch-a-sketch, right? Yeah, shake it up. Start all over again, right? You know, if you're here today and, and you've taken our Belong class or Discover the Grove and you want to join us as we seek to lift up the Lord, I encourage you to do that. But we're going to sing a song that, you know, it's about the fact that the reason we can have hope is because of what Jesus did and, and the fact that he lives is why we can have hope and why... Because he lives and died is why we do have this spirit inside of us that will help us become everything we want to be. And Maple Grove, I I just pray that you continue to see the picture of that river. And that everywhere you and I touch, we can bring life to our love, our joy, our peace, our patience, our kindness, our goodness, our gentleness, our faithfulness, and our self-control. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we love you. And what an honor and privilege to be in your house, to be your people. We're messed up, and you're good and kind and patient. And God, we know that because you live, we have hope. Because of what you did on the cross, that we can be new people. And God, I pray for those who are struggling right now. There's something out of control, Lord, and their anger, and they don't want it anymore. They got some... You know, maybe it's food, maybe it's immorality. I don't know what it is, God. You know, and they just want their life to be in control again. I pray they realize that you can and want to make it happen, that all things are possible when we believe. And so God, just be with us as we sing. Amen.